I want to be serious. I want to be effective. Maybe because I am Latin guy, I need, uh, need, you know, to be close to the guys. We had the, the decided that he will be the, the next coach of the first team of Football Club Barcelona. And when I told him this, he said uh, that you. Hello humans, welcome to the M Word, the Manx Sports Podcast brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him. Hello Matthew, how are you? How's your burnt arm by the way? Uh, we're alright now, I've uh, looked after myself. Pe- peeled your Manx skin off? Yeah. <laughs> and gone back to being pale? What One day out and that's enough for me for the summer <laughs> now, I've got me time. Enough vitamin D or whatever it is you get from the sun apparently, not as much sun as our guests get. Uh, just a quick shout out to Billboards or Advertise, uh, Billboards Advertising. Uh, again, as always, check out the guys, billboards.im, the future of advertising. Uh, today, we're joined by Jack in Liverpool, Jack Walton. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Thanks, thanks for having me. No, no, pleasure. Uh, just to go back, back briefly, uh, you probably didn't hear the clip, uh, Jack, <coughs> although um, maybe not even Matty. Don't know whether anyone recognised the intro clip, but it was for, it was a chat with that I found on the internet with Pep Guardiola about the ten rules of uh, success in coaching, which I just thought was quite appropriate. Uh, bearing in mind the subject matter, we'll hopefully chat about today. So I'll put a link in the footer if anybody wants to pick up any more tips after after this podcast on on Pep. I put it in there in great uh, great difficulty for myself being a Liverpool fan, but we'll we'll acknowledge that he's a half decent manager. Uh, so. To start off with, Jack, are you a appreciating you're living in Liverpool now? But from the Isle of Man perspective, are you a come over or a Manx or Manx as the hills? Or Manx? Uh, I think I'm a come over really. Uh, yeah, my mum my and dad um, are both English, so they they sorry they they were bought sorry I was born on the Isle of Man. I'll reverse that back. Um, but my mum and dad were both English, and my dad was a Geordie. Mum was from Preston, so hence the kind of mongrel accent. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was yeah, I was born there, and then I think I moved. Uh, it was ten years ago in September. I moved over to, to Liverpool. So um, yeah, Pretty Manx. Though, I was being born here. Go Manx. Yeah, I, I would say yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, growing up, where were you growing up on the Isle of Man? Uh, well, uh, funnily enough, uh, I spent quite a lot of time over on the island in um, February and March. My dad unfortunately passed away, um, and. So there was a, a real sort of period of, of reflection that was going on, uh, which is probably something that we'll we'll talk about as we as we go through. But um, I, my first house was in Castletown. Uh, spent a bit of time on uh, what is it, Hope Street, and then Mill Street in Castletown, and then mm-hmm. I moved to we moved to Colby when I was four, and I grew up. So Colby really was was where I grew up and where I called home. But yeah, Castletown before that. Yeah, I'm only down Balasala. Well, in fact, Matt's down Colby as well. So, yeah, yeah. Southern Posse, catch up. And schooling, what schools were you at, at down here? Uh, Arbery and Castle here, Russian. But, He's oh, down there, yeah. Yeah, yeah Arbery yeah. and Castle Russian, yeah. Fond, very, very fond memories of, of both. Right. Um, fantastic times. And doing sport at a young age? Were you sporty? You know, ah, do you know what? I don't, I don't think I was until... Um, well, definitely was when I went to high school, but early on, I wasn't that sporty. I was a, a very rotund child, shall we say. I was a, I was the fat kid in the class. Uh-huh. Um, oh. And uh, I went to my first, the first experience of sport that I can remember was going down to Colby Football Club when I was about eight years old. And um, we 
my dad took me down. I had these nasty silk shorts, uh, gola boots, and we were up on. If you remember the old Colby Football Club, they had the like the training grass pitch behind at the back end, uh, up by Balacroix Park, and it was a like a seven-a-side pitch, and we must have been playing twenty-a-side. The age range was from eight years to 16 I, I still remember the oldest kid was 16 I was about eight we played for two hours 10 till 12 and I think I touched the ball twice size five <laughs> and uh mud bath yeah that, that was my introduction and then got got very much into sport um when I went to high school uh yeah I, I think you've had Neil on haven't you is that right yeah 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 so he, he I'm sure we can talk about him but he's one of the biggest influences on you know why I'm sat here talking to you now Oh, interesting. Okay, didn't know that. Yeah. So, were you folk sporty? Um, my dad would say he was, but I'm I'm starting to unravel. Figure. I don't believe him. <laughs> he had he had a fantastic pair of um the the original Puma Kings. He, he worked out in South Africa uh, as a labourer when uh, when he was in his early twenties, and he brought back these great boots, which are still in his garage gathering dust now. But um, that was yeah, not, about the extent. Not, not a speck of dirt on them. No, no. Uh, but my mum is is actually a a really, really good high level bowler. She crown green, and many people who listen to this will remember her, Lillian Walton, at the time. Um, she she played a lot of bowls on the Isle of Man. She won the Yorkshire Bank, um, which is a big competition that was held over there every summer. And she still she she moved over back over to Preston, ninety five, and it, you know the opportunity for her to play just increased tenfold. So yeah. she's she's not happy at the moment being locked in because normally bowling season she's out at least four nights a week and two days at a weekend so yeah, yeah i get yeah. i definitely get some of that from her she's she's very very competitive and that, i think i've got that streak from her that must be a spring spring summer sport having never spoke to anyone i don't think that's ever played ground crown green bowling i presume that's it yeah i mean it, it's still i think it's still quite big on the island i saw something that there was when i was over in march that there was a petition to save Port St Mary got bowling club, but um, I know there's a you know there's a fair community that play it, um, and it, it is it, it's a it's a good game. You know, I I learned I used to play with my mum uh, quite a lot in doubles competitions and things like that, and oh, right, yeah, okay. taught, probably taught me quite a lot at a young age. Yeah, right, okay. And you mentioned you got into sports and you went to high school. Yes, probably more more so definitely. I mean, it was football was. It was, all, it was always something that I'd played as a kid at primary school and then not very well, by the way. And then um, got, it got my eyes opened at high school as to what a, a well-rounded um, sporting education was. You know, Matt, you, you were there. I can't, what, what year were you, Matt? I don't, um, were, um, you, were you two I, years below me? I think I came in 2000, I think. I think that was the, that when I came in. So you might have been there when I went back to teach there then? Um. I think you were just after. Yeah, possibly. But I think I went there twenty oh six, maybe oh seven. So we probably just yeah, missed yeah, each other. Yeah, oh seven would have been when I went to uni. So yeah, I think, I think, you were, I think. were you my sister? You were in my sister's year, weren't you? But yeah, yeah, right, yeah. So you, we, uh, yeah, as I was uh, sort of gearing up to leave, you were just coming in. But I mean, Matt, you know as well as I do that you know the, what the three guys did there, and oh, so it was like. Yeah. What, what I've learned a lot, actually, I'm applying some of the things that I've learned from, you know, Neil, Cliff and Guy now to, to in terms of um, fairness with the boys that I coach at the moment. So what, what I've realised is that um, the rule was if you wanted to play in the football team for the school, that which everyone did, you had to at least go to rugby training. 
um, because some wanted to have their cake and eat it and avoid rugby, which was something that was new for most of us in year seven, and then play football. But you know, the P staff, no matter how good you were, um, weren't having any of that, and I, I and I respect that. Um, you know, yeah. I, I, I respect it in time now, but I really understand why they did that, and that kind of just spread throughout the school that um, you were. Uh, you were given such opportunities to try so many different sports. I think I, I, I had this conversation with a colleague a while back um, and she'd only played maybe three sports in her whole school career. Um, whereas we were, we sampled at least 14 from what I can wow. remember. Uh, and when I say sampled, that means at least six weeks, like a half term block of playing that sport. Yeah. Um, and it, it really was, it, it was fantastic. Oh yeah, that's it. Cause I, I was, when people say about their um, experiences with sport at school, it's like, just think of back then. It's just, it, for us, it was just the norm. I don't even remember thinking, oh, I'd rather play this or I'll play that. It's just you played, you, that was it. You played every sport under the sun and got a, a taste of everything. And I guess that's why it helps with the um, how good a level we can how, how good a level that school can produce because they'll then pick out who's good at what and, you know, the teams and everything thrive on it, builds up their, their abilities and why, well, I guess I'm biased anyway from being a cast Russian, you know, mm. they're always up there in the sports and the people who can, you know, who have gone through the Guy Cliff Neil um, era came out and have done so well. Yeah, I think I was the same. I, I, I thought it was, I only realised it wasn't the norm when I moved over here 10 years ago and then realised that for most schools and most adolescents who go through high school, the their only sport that they'll ever touch is football. Um, and, you know, that has its pros and cons, definitely, yeah. which I'm sure we can get into. Yeah, speaking to a few others, a few other guests previously, yeah, that they all seem to say that diversifications don't get obsessed with one. Yeah. Just, yeah, get that. And, and it'll give you more rounded if you do eventually at a sort of older age pick pick a sport to focus on that roundedness that you'll have got from doing other sports will help you that, was, that seems to be a constant theme so did you represent the island then uh, at a sport did yeah I read that somewhere yeah there's a there's a running joke with the the lads who i play football and knock about with over here um because uh, and in cliff dunn if he listens to this we'll we'll have a laugh at this one is that, that I, I i'd say you know whatever the lad said oh did you play this or did play that i would say i'm, I'm the, i was the Man champion because they, you know, they've never been over there. What it's like, but now I think I uh, definitely football. I think we might have had rugby when we were in the younger ages. Did some cross country. Um, what else did we do? There was there were our oh, athletics stuff like that. I am um, yeah. There was certainly like cricket. I think we had a an island cricket match when we were when we were younger. So there was plenty of opportunities at senior level. I, I made one I one senior appearance for the the men's football team. I, I was. Oh. Just getting into the squad at the time when I went was going to university, um, probably for the best actually because there was there was plenty more good players and you know I think I was in right back at the time and there was no way I was going to push Julian Ringham out of that island team. Uh, uh, I was, was going to say you like uh, is it Carlton Palmer that's got one England cap? Yeah, the Carlton good. Palmer, the Isle of Man. <laughs> good moment. actually. There is. Um, I, I was going to do this from my little man cave, but uh, I turned my garage over there into a, a bar. I can show you it later on. But my um, uh, w when I left the Isle of Man, uh, the the staff at the Isle of Man FA got me a, a shirt with my name and number on the back. And oh, it's, right. it's pinned. It's pinned oh, up nice in the nice. wall. On, on oh, that's nice. Though, a, isn't it? A wall full of football shirts. Yeah. So 
no I'll, uh, I'll, I'll never forget that it was a really good opportunity and um yeah i was absolutely <laughs> over the moon to, to, to get a call up and play yeah it's nice to represent you represent yeah. your country isn't it yeah yeah, so you mentioned there you moved on to uni, went to Loughborough. Yes. So, so you yeah. did sport, sports and science there, is that? And what? Yeah, well, I wanted to do straight sports science. Uh, okay. But unfortunately, when I got my A-levels, I didn't, I didn't quite work hard enough in the second year of A-levels to get the grades. So uh, that sports science straight at Loughborough was probably the most oversubscribed course no. in the country at the time. So, But they, when I rang through clearing, they said, well, you can't, we don't have a place on that course for you, but there's sports science and physics if you want to do that and i i was you know you know jumping for joy i had no idea that that course even existed because if it had i would have applied for that one instead oh okay so that that was where yeah it was a joint on joint honors it was a fairly new course that the university were offering so yeah I, all i wanted to do was go to loughborough and be around that place and um, people of that caliber so, so to get the opportunity to do it was great so that obviously at that age then again i always think back to i had this conversation recently with someone of i had no clue what i wanted to do at that wanted to do at that age but i assume you had a rough idea you know you had a reasonable idea this was something i enjoyed and this is potentially a career not necessarily yeah. had a career mind on but it was no it was weird because i, I never actually chose pe as an a-level initially I, I chose it and after two weeks uh, i realized that i, I couldn't tolerant i couldn't handle the, the the way that the course was being taught and that it wasn't going to suit me and my mum talked me into um kind of going with my tail between my legs to guy smith and begging if i could swap courses and be moved on to pe which thankfully he let me um and then you know university was just something that i guess it, things have changed slightly now but it was just what everyone did it was the done thing that when you finished a levels you just went to university and all i knew i wanted to do was i was passionate about really passionate about sport at that time um i really enjoyed the physics as well at school but mainly because those two subjects i had probably two two of the best teachers so hence they you know they they sparked a real big passion in the subjects and just to be able to do that at, at loughborough was was a good opportunity but i mean i think for me personally what it was I, I didn't have the maturity to study a degree at that, at that time having just come off the back of a master's um, and knowing what the commitment that you, you need to put into to, to do a degree properly. Yeah. Um, but it was still a great opportunity and I got plenty of it. Being the non-university person on, on this uh, Zoom call, how, where do physics bleed into sports science? Um, the crossover that they sold to us was biomechanics. Okay. So um, we, we would spend... Uh, a lot of time in the labs looking at things like for like oh, getting people on force plates and looking at things like um, high jumps and long jumps and things like that um, discus throws and like trying to study the the maths behind how you can yeah. um, make an object whether that be the human body or, a, or or otherwise how you can launch that thing as far as you possibly can so yeah, quite okay. a lot of, of maths involved in it which I enjoyed that that, that type of maths but it, it, it was clear to me after maybe a year or two that I was more interested in the the kind of human element around coaching and uh, that maybe more of the sociology as well. So just so Matt, Matt and I are both uh, American football fans. I don't know. Do you watch American football? Are you into? Yeah, I, I've got a Ravens ball in, inside there. We're oh, well, let's move subjects. Actually, now you can talk about. <laughs> I'm not. A Ra I'm not a Ravens fan. All oh, right, but I, I went. No, it's fine. To Baltimore for the um, U.S. Soccer Coaches Conference in January, um, but I've got. I definitely got into it. I do. It, it so, fascinates me. Um, so when you look at like the draft there, where they complete these short tasks, the high jump, the the short sprints, 
I see some of them that it sort of translate to the pitch as in what they do, short sprints, for example, but they do like stand and jumps and things like that. And how I, I presume from a biomechanics point of view, you see why they're doing that type of thing to show their athleticism off. Yeah, I think so. But you're, you're only, um, you, you're limited by what, I guess, what you can glean from that. I always try to I take these things with a pinch of salt. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I kind of understand it's, it's very American driven and they, they do love numbers and data. Um, there's a, it's, I'm, I'm quite critical of things like uh, SAQ, for example. Uh, I don't, you know, some people hold it up as, as the panacea and the silver bullet. I don't see how it translates really that, that well. Um, but SAQ? I'm speed, agility, quickness. You look okay. seeing people kind of running over the ladders and doing all nice, pretty footwork patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I haven't, I'm yet to see somebody, uh, well, it's, I'm looking. I'm talking from a football perspective now. Yeah. Um, mo- move like that in a game of football, um, what, because it's so um, it's so removed from context when you when you look at opposition and uh, an own teammate state of the game, and you add in all these different factors. You're trying to reduce qu- what is quite a complex thing down to like very simple uh, parts. And yeah. I, I, look, I'm sure that. Um, there's people getting paid millions of dollars who will tell me otherwise that, you know, I'm, I'm wrong. That That's kind of, I, I try, I tried not to be, but it, it's hard not to be a skeptic sometimes when you yeah. see some of, some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure. I mean, obviously they run it. I'm sure it has, has its value, although I have seen chat yeah. in recent years where it's, does it need, use the word modernizing and different dynamics well, or think, things brought think, into it? Yeah. I think that um, it's quite interesting. It's, and some clubs are, are changing, you know, the way that they recruit now. So, you know, traditionally maybe that they'll that's the sexy bit, isn't it? That um, you'll look at the, the the draft and you'll look at who's uh, who's doing the thirty yard dash the quickest or who's doing the, the standing jump the furthest. But what I think it, or what I believe is going on now is that they're much well, you know, as interested in the background of the the, the person and trying to understand the person uh, as a whole rather than yeah. just the physical element to them. Yeah. Um, the Aaron Hernandez documentary was an interesting one. Oh, I don't know amazing. if you saw that, did you? Yeah, 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 it was incredible. But they'd obviously done their home well, maybe not that well, uh, done their homework on him. But they, you know, I believe that they do go into a lot of depth. And this is something that um, there's a good book called Soconomics that's worth a read. I think they've done a, a few updates now um, by an economist called Simon Cooper. I think he works. He writes for the Financial Times, but he he. Um, made some interesting points that clubs will spend millions of pounds on um, players based on data and stats, and then when they when they bring them into the club, they don't do anything to actually help them integrate. So oh. they dump them in a, or, or leave them in an apartment where they maybe don't speak the language, don't know how to set up the gas, electricity, and water. Um, no, no schools sorted out for the kids or anything. So I think that clubs are seeing these players much more as assets that they have to properly look after nowadays. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I've just gone on one of those tangents there, sorry. No, no, not all. No, you're right. And it kind of brings us back to the that we had a chat on Friday with Paul Power, who's very data-focused, but I, I'm sure he wouldn't, you know, I can't speak for him, but I'm sure he, like anything, there's a balance of both, isn't the data and yeah. that and the balance of, you know, are they, are they, you know, and Hernandez is a good example where clearly, I, as an observer, the team took a risk on him because he's got these issues from his younger years but they've gone well let's try and put him on the straight and narrow while getting the benefits and they've, they've calculated a risk there and you know i suppose in some ways for the club it paid off for a, a period of time but then eventually didn't pay off the question is did they do it 
or did they look after him as best they should? You know, I suppose that's always a debate to be had whether the club could have done more for him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But since since they're my team, I'll I'll uh, stick on their side. So is that your team? Is it the, yeah, the Patriots? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I've got a soft spot for. Green Bay, um, I, the first the first place I worked uh, when I went to coach out in the States, I got sent up to, to Green Bay for a week um, and that was a baptism of fire. Go to Lambeau. I, I, yeah, well, we didn't go to a game, but I went to Lambeau Fields for, for uh, a bite to eat on the Friday night uh, when we'd finished the coaching. And an amazing stadium even then, that was 2004, I think. But yeah, but got the hat and got the, the jacket and stuff and I keep an eye on it. glove. Yeah, yeah. A cheese hat. Uh, yeah, well, Matt's a, Matt's a big, big Pat fan, so yeah, we've got all bases covered. So, when you finished uni, what was the plan? What was the plan then? I, uh, do you know, I. So when I, um, so second after second year, I, I'd actually, the the first week I was at university. So everyone, all the you know, all these young eighteen year olds are piled into a lecture theatre. There's about 320 people in there. Everyone that was doing sports science or some variant of um, hungover, probably. And the the um, sort of head of the head of the school of sports science, there, there was a load of sort of in, inductions and things like that. And the last thing they, they finished on was, or oh, by the way, as a, as an aside, we're running a number of coaching courses um, over over the, the, the school year, over the, the the semesters. If you want to get involved, here's some information. So I I took you know took the leaflet uh, had a look at it and it was um a level two coaching course that was going to be run on campus uh, all the way through the the, the the academic year so i thought well you know what's well, a great opportunity i actually rang up um andy wadsworth who was the football development officer on the isle of man at the time and just said look it's a bit it's quite a lot of money but is there anything that you can do and, and he said yeah we've got a budget we'll we'll fund it so I ended up doing my course every year. I think it was like Friday night and Saturday morning for about 12 weeks or so. Right. Um, had you, had you done any coaching before that? I'd, yeah, I was. Uh, this, this is one of the great things about the island that I, I believe that, that, that is different to, to over here is um, that community club spirit. So growing up playing for Colby, the, uh, the done thing was that or they, tr- they really tried to encourage um, the younger or the, the, the first team and reserve team players to go and coach the kids and give something back. So mm-hmm. at sort of 15, 16, when I was, I, w- I would be playing for Colby men's on a Saturday and the kid, the youth team on a Sunday, but then we were encouraged to then go and like get involved in the coaching on Saturday morning. So I would, I would, I would coach the under tens, which was actually Matt, I think you, well, I don't know if you were in that group, but the likes of John Cork, who was your year, right? Yeah. So yeah. John, yeah. When John Cork and, and that year were under tens, that was the first year I ever, I ever, oh. I, I say coached. It wasn't coaching; it was bordering on child abuse, probably. But it was it was facilitating football with some children. I would I would call it <laughs> a um, learning curve. So yeah, yes, definitely. But uh, it it was that was my first introduction, and then um, yeah, skip forward to being at university, taking advantage of the level two course that was on offer. Um, and then that then led me out to the States the following summer. So I spent two or three summers working out in the States. And my intention was to, to move out there full time. You know, I've still got friends and contacts out there. Um, and I'm, I flew back. I remember I was not long about to fly back. Um, I've been working out in California. And I get a phone call off Clifton saying that um, 
the, the head at Cast Russian at the time wanted me wanted a chat because there was a job that she wanted me to do and would I interview for it? So I said, yeah, okay. And the, the intention was I was just going to come back to the island for a few months, apply for my visa, pay off my student debt and then go out to the States. Um, but I ended up spending the best part of an academic year working at Castro Russian, uh, uh, which is when you would have been at your back end, Matt, mm. um, as an education support officer. And then that, that led me to the Isle of Man FA. Um, and, and, you know, one, one thing after another, I never really intended on, on getting into working for the FA it's just kind of things seem to uh, open up in front of me and those those roles within it within was that within the Isle of Man FA to start with then the first one so the, the first one was with yeah the Isle of Man so I'd spent the year at Castle Russian which was just an amazing experience being on the other side of the fence so I'd, I'd obviously come through the school as a, as a student and then being as a I guess a, a member of staff you got to see you know under the the bonnet if you like mm. um and then yeah the job at the Isle of Man FA came up and I thought well if I'm if I'm intending on going and coaching I might as well apply for it and try and get some more experience of working in football um and then that that opened up you know some development opportunities there I got that job and um it I think the biggest thing the the, the FA nationally were recruiting for coach educators at the time so the the criteria was you had to have a, a UA for B qualification which I'd done by that point, and you had to have some some sort of kind of educational experience. So I was yeah. lucky that I'd had the both at the, just at the right time. So the you know the planets really aligned, yeah. um, and that was that was quite that that was probably the moment when I thought this is what I want to do now. When I was you know I'd be delivering coaching courses with with Paul Brideson, who is you know one of one of yours over there, who's absolutely outstanding coach educator, uh, a real credit to the island. Um, so I would deliver courses with him regularly, um, and absolutely loved it. And I, I thought, yeah, this this is the sort of thing that I could I could really get my teeth into, helping teach coaches how to coach. And at that stage, are you appreciating we all learn it more every day? Were you starting to develop your thought process on how coaching should be? Because I'm sure <laughs> coaches have their, and I'm sure that's ever evolving with everything. You know, yeah. just naturally is. But did you feel you were starting to get? I use the word an identity within how you coached, just picking the yeah, best, probably, what you obviously perceived as best best things off other people. Yeah, probably. They say that youth is wasted on the young, don't they? And I was probably, um, uh, had a way of thinking at the time, having completed my UA for B and then started coach educating that I was, you know, probably quite entrenched in this is the way. Um, I, it's only when I look back now, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but I, I guess we could all say that about things that we've done 10 years or more ago but I think um I, I yeah I'd had some experiences with with some colleagues um you know influences like Nick Levitt um who was instrumental in getting the the the, the FA youth development review through so influences like that positive influences uh that started to change what I thought coaching was about um and I was I was still practicing coaching. I was I was coaching some kids team. I helped to set up a girls um, set up at St Mary's. Actually, that was re- I remember doing that. You know, it was one of the last things I did before I left the island. That was really you know good fun. But uh, yeah, I I probably um, thought that I knew more than I did. <laughs> yeah. And it's only now that I realise you know how, you, you realise how little you know. What, what is it that you said? It, the um, the bigger the island of knowledge, the longer the coastline of the unknown. Oh, right, yeah. and the more that you know, the more you you realise that you don't yet know. 
Um, And I probably could have done with hearing that quote, you know, back then when I was, when I was working there. I think at that younger age, most people, I'm sure, probably all they'll ever go, yeah, whatever, I know everything type, you know, it's just, just that's, that's human nature. So the opportunity then, Liverpool, how did that come about? Is that something, did you Um, want to leave the island? I, yeah, I think I got to a point where I, it, it's, so when this would have been about two thousand and nine, I'd, I'd actually um, been offered a job with the FA and I turned it down. Uh, and and I, after I'd done that, I I, I realised I'd made a mistake and I, I was kind of ready then at that point. When you mention FA, you're talking UK FA here, right? Yeah, yeah, I, I see them as two things. They might not be, but I see them as two different Sorry, things. Yeah, the, yeah. The, yeah, you've got the English FA um, right. and, yeah, and the Isle of Man FA. So yeah. I'd, I'd been offered a job, um, like a team leader of a, a, in a coaching role, purely purely coaching. Turned it down and then regretted it. And it was at the point I thought, yeah, I, I don't, I need to move on if I'm, you know, if I want to keep being challenged. So about a year later, September 9, yeah, the job came up with the Liverpool County FA. Um, which was still within a development role, so similar to what the staff on the Isle of Man FA do. But I knew that I would get much more opportunity to be involved in coach education, which was kind of like more weekend work. Um, Because on the island at the time, we would probably only deliver four courses a year, which in itself is is decent um, for the population. But I knew that if I moved over here, that I would get the chance to to get out there and, and be working with coaches on a weekly basis. And that, that proved to be true. Right. Um, so I would, you know, get into my little clapped out red polo every Saturday morning and be driving off somewhere around the Northwest to go and deliver a course for some, some County. And it was, it was great opportunity for me at the time. So, so, and is that full time or if your other work on the side or the other way that, around? No, that, that was, no, my full time job was more of, of the development in terms of okay. um, being office based and, the, the kind of behind the scenes work, helping clubs to develop, helping um, pushing through funding applications and things like that. Okay. The coach education was the stuff that I would have to do separately on the side. And that's volunteer um, work. It, well, unfortunately, we I was getting paid for it at the time. Okay. Um, so yeah, but I, that was the stuff that I knew that I really wanted to do. Yeah, and, yeah. and so the the day job, I guess, funded you know what the the more the the vocational stuff. But I knew I wanted to make that a career. Um, it was just a case of being patient and waiting for the right opportunity. And when you when you moved away from the island, what, I mean, when you flick the camera around there, I presume you got a partner. Was your partner there, yeah. or did you meet your partner? So your partner was happy to. No, take... no, she's a scouser. Oh right, okay, right, right. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so choice was a little easier when you, you think about family and situations like that, and leaving family or, or yes. taking yeah. family with you. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, it was it's double edged really because I was um, my, you know, I had to, my dad and my sister. Uh, and her, I think my sister might have just come back from university then, yeah. So they were they were living on the island, but then my mum was living in Preston. So, right. you know, I hadn't really seen a great deal of her since yeah, 95. Yeah. So then, I, you know, I knew that she would only be within an hour down the road. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, was, it was pros and cons again, really. So that, so that role in, in, in coaching then at the, the weekend, you're out coaching coaches rather than... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And is that age? Yeah. Is that again? Obviously, I'm obviously all football focused. Is that particular age category? Or is that anyone that's just looking to? No, I mean at the time still, uh, we get uh, anyone from um, coaches who, who work in the pre- professional game, you know, right up to you know people who, who coaching in who coaching the Premier League, um, 
right the way down to somebody who might be taking the under sevens who literally started you know picked up a bag of balls and some bibs for the first time the week before okay um, that was the same then and, and, it, and it's still the same now that you you do get a huge uh, diverse range of people uh, and opinions that that come through the door and which is great it's really you know enjoyable to, to spend time with those you know with all those those different people so if you took a session would that would the, I assume there wouldn't be a mix to be typically you might do a session I'll use the word beginners but for the for the one of a better expression you do yeah it. I think I think so yeah um, practically you know if we, we're talking about practical on a, on a coaching course I think what I've learned is that um, uh, you know we're, we're trying to get people uh, there's a really good analogy which is the difference between a cook and a chef so um, a cook will basically pull off a, a recipe off the internet um, and you know put it together and, and there you go uh, and serve it up but if something you know starts to go wrong a cook doesn't really have the skills to be able to to, to, to deal with the situation whereas a chef knows what the end has the end in mind and will work backwards and develop yeah. the ingredients and will and will adapt on the fly uh, and able to, to do that and I think what probably traditionally you know I think back to when I used to deliver courses on uh, on the Isle of Man I was probably developing more cooks than chefs so it would be kind of like here's a here's a ready-made practice that you can do with your players and that's great and once the coaches have i guess used them up then you know what where else have they got to turn so nowadays i think the best coach educators the best coach developers are the ones who um get you know challenge people's thinking more and, and and teach them to think and teach them to be able to um survive in their own because you know that one big criticism of, of coach education that, that has been leveled on it for decades is that it's you know decontextualized that we we bring all these people together and we go to let's say st john's which is where we used to run the courses and all the adults run around for each other and we all have a really good time but then you know you, three months later you're delivering a, another course and the under eight coach has got 16 kids lined up waiting to take a shot into a full-size goal and you're like right what i wonder why that's happening then and it you know you, you when you think back is that we didn't really maybe give them that coach the tools to think for themselves yeah maybe yeah. they were too reliant on on the recipes that we were we were teaching yeah, yeah. the uh we chatted someone recently similar i suppose almost thought of a better term empowering uh players to to or, or arming them with tools to be able to make decisions you know mm-hmm do the basics but also yeah the, that empowerment side of yeah just just being able to think on the pitch as well not just yeah yeah it's, it's exactly the same with coaches um i uh, you know i started to view things like uh i was talking to um a friend of mine who's doing like a teaching degree at the moment and i was talking about um trying to use an analogy of you know the way i see the the, the difference in planning so some people will will plan and they've got all this detail xyz and and that's great but i think the best coaches and the best teachers are the ones who are able to a little bit like um you know you see when they have the round the world yacht race so that all the boats start off at the same point but why is it that they finish at such different intervals it's just that some are able to some are able to respond and react and adapt better to the weather to the conditions that they find and, and those conditions over time, you know, they magnify. And I think it's the same with, with coaching and teaching is that the, the best coaching teachers are able to, 
um, set off with the end in mind and react and adapt to the conditions that that they find themselves in. Yeah, yeah. So, so to think a bit into the kind of FA structure itself, I mean, I I go back to when England were poor at football, and there was always this issue about producing English players and the grassroots. So, I guess I, I could be wrong, but a lot of what you do now is is that back of the scenes stuff you know everyone sees the, the front the, the the players at the very end you know representing at the world cup but i presume you're working on that infrastructure at the, at the background so but i assume that strategy from from the fa is from the very top of let's start from the bottom and work our way up of that development and you know you're obviously paying playing up a key role within that structure line somewhere on the way up the pyramid yeah, I mean, I, I came into the organisation uh, nearly 10 years ago now and it was just as uh, Sir Trevor Brookin was leaving and Dan Ashworth was coming in and about six months after I joined St George's Park opened. So again, planets aligned. Um, and, you know, Dan um, had a real vision about where he wanted things to go. Uh, he, you know, he, he created um, or he pioneered the what is now known as the England DNA, which a lot of people listening in, if they've been on a coaching course in the last five or six years or so, will have will have heard this expression. But it was basically a statement, a position statement from the organisation to say, um, this is uh, this is the sort of if we want to win or be ready to win major tournaments in the future, um, these are the sort of players that we need to have playing for us. Uh, this is the sort of um, coaching that those players need to be exposed to these are the experiences that they need to have uh whilst on camp to be able to deal with tournament pressure and experience um and this is how we're gonna have to support the process so we you know um, um, all this kind of coupled with a recognition of this is our identity as a as a country um you know i think too often football uh in this country it's very very well scrutinized the national team is the most scrutinized team you know by a long long way um i think there's only the brazilian national team that gets more scrutiny than than the english national team and um i think what they what this brought was a, a, a you know it wasn't to everyone's liking but as dan used to say there's no surefire way to success but the, the way to failure is by trying to please everyone. This is what, you know, what we're, we're putting a marker down now. This is what, you know, we believe in and it's not going to happen overnight. And there's no point in just trying to be Spain or trying to be Germany or because things do go around in cycles. And, you know, it, it's like, um, it's a little bit like the All Blacks, you know, the All Blacks aren't bothered about putting all their, you know, sharing their trade secrets, if you like. I'm sure they don't share them all, but putting out there because, it, you know, they they what they think is that if everyone's, copying us we're always going to be two steps ahead so i think the england yeah. dna at the time this was around about 2014 now was um was it was a starter marker that, that you know would lead to um you know something for us to build upon or build towards for for years to come which we're still doing and is there i, I i've not come across the name before so dan is he is he a former footballer or has he come from a business background where's his no dan dan actually you talk about somebody who's uh gone all the way through so he he came into the fa as um a technical director he'd previously been um technical director at, or director of football at west brom so in that period where west brom were kind of punching above their weight uh dan was uh, director of football then so he came into to do the technical director role and to put it into context when i joined the fa um the whole technical division 
this this includes so i was a re, um, so doing a similar role that i'm doing now so coach development manager uh, you had all the national coaches all the sports science staff the administrators the physios everything the whole technical directorate was about 80 staff so yeah the, the technical division had grown from like 80 to about 350 that it is now uh and the, the team that I was working in was the regional coaches. We went from eight to 40 almost overnight in 2015. Um, so that, that gave us, you know, so much more capacity to, to do, um, you know, to where, what, to do what we wanted to do with coach education. Say, and when that came in, did you see much change in your day to day straight away or was it kind of phased in? Yeah, I think what, well, Originally, when I when I joined uh, the English FA from Liverpool FA, that would have been uh, 2011, Christmas 11, and you know I was a regional manager for the South West, so I was living in Bristol, but I had to cover from sort of the bottom end of Cornwall right up to the top end of Worcester, uh, sorry not Worcester, um, Gloucestershire, so it's on the Worcestershire border, but that that in itself is half the length of the country, so I would be you know spending probably a hundred nights a year in hotels. Um, it was great, in t- you know, in terms of a learning curve for getting out and delivering and doing coach education on a, a daily, weekly basis. But it was it was a struggle physically because you're you're going. You've got six huge geographical counties across you know across the southwest of England, um, and trying to cover that area is is really difficult. But when we when we brought more staff in, it just enables you to localize things a lot more. So I then moved back up to the northwest and. So now, currently, I I've got a team of um, six full-time coach educate coach educators that uh, also coach developers that I look after, uh, and but I'm able to sort of concentrate my own uh, focus on the coaches who are in and around Liverpool. And the uh, are those those coaches going? Are they going into clubs? Are they going in schools? Are they go what what's involved with that side of it? Yeah. Our work is generally, you know, we're much more focused now, which is again uh, probably a uh, byproduct of having more staff. Is you're more streamlined and focused. But we're we're focused really our team on on grassroots uh, football. So that's anything out of the professional game. So the the, the professional academies they'll have staff with within the English FA who go in and help develop the coaches within those academies. We we concentrated everything um, from say the the conference down um, okay. right away from first team level two could be the under sevens your local grassroots club still a big scope that's a massive scope still <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah but it um at least you know it's it's a much more localized level so we'll run for example one ua for b qualification in liverpool um i think last season we ran 40 across the country but then a couple of seasons before we you know we only ran eight so the opportunity, or you know, and then some people will listen to this because they've not got on to a UA for B and, and disagree with me, and that's understandable because it's their own personal experience. But the opportunity to do, to go up, um, or to do more in terms of coaching qualifications has probably never been more. It is an mm-hmm. investment, though. It's you know, it's time and financial. But but then I, you know, I I can then take eight coaches and, and focus much more uh, closely on those in the local area, um, yeah. and it. Chance to go out and watch them working with their own players. Um, you know, I, there's, there's there's a coach who I support, uh, who I can walk I can walk to his session because he lives just over the road. And you know, they or sorry, the 
the venue that he coaches at is literally a five minute walk from my house. So, um, so yeah, but, it, it does enable to to get to know the coaches a bit more. So when so when you look at when you break down coaching a coach, are you, are you looking at for the one of a word every element of that from tactical aspects to psychological aspects to you know and, and whatever else may be covered within that. Yeah, we, we work off something called a foot, you know, our four corner model, and it, it's okay. basically more of a uh, holistic approach in terms of player development. So, um, but it's it's no different really in terms of, of coach development. The coaches the coaches need an understanding of, of how players develop. So we, we, we call it the you know technical and tactical. That's one corner. Uh, uh, physical is another. Um, they're the two that are probably the most noticeable because they're the things that you can see, and they're the, probably the things that traditionally we've. Uh, you know coaching has focused on but then we, we, we've got the psychological and the social um, and you know they are they're the things that you know the, the, all these things are connected you, you can't really separate them so it's it, you, so you have to have an, an understanding of all these they call them the ologies um, to, to be a good coach um, and, and actually you know when you think about it some, some of the the best coaches I've seen uh, especially working with younger players um, haven't had a, gr- a great deal of knowledge of the game. It's not a prerequisite. And what they've actually done is, is gone away and, and learn more about the technical and tactical side of the game. Yeah. But what they are is absolutely incredible with people. Um, and this was a conversation I was having with my friend who's doing his teaching degree the other day and we were talking about, he, he's, he's doing a, uh, a degree in teaching media and um, he's, he was telling me how he... Uh, bought a load of popcorn in for this for the students because they were going to watch and, and critically analyze some film and he got down marked off it and he's you know, his, his, his argument was i'm just trying to create a memorable experience and i'm sure if i asked you two to think of the best teachers that you can we don't too much of the the technical content if you like but i bet you remember everything about the way that they made you feel and how they inspired you um to go on and, and be better and it's, and it's it's not too much different with, with coaching, regardless of context. Yeah. I suppose you look at an example, I guess, examples such as, you know, as a young kid coming in, maybe he's got a troubled, troubled at home, you know, doesn't get much attention at home or, or, you know, much, much of what he needs at home. So you've got to perhaps treat him differently in that sport environment, I guess, to, to someone coming in from a different background. So it's, I guess, learning backgrounds of, of where kids are. It might be the only time of the day that, or the week that they actually you know they're enjoying because there's other pressures going on. Well, definitely, and there's it, the thing that you know, I'm more and more aware of now is that there's um, it's so it, the need to be individualised. Everything nowadays, all all the best things that you probably um, subscribe to are, will be individualised to you. So when you know are either of you on Netflix, yeah, yeah, so you go onto Netflix and and it will have it will have curated what it thinks that you like it's the same you go onto youtube and wonder why that you when you go on there you cut you you're down a rabbit hole three hours later because it you know it 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 knows what you're engaged with and i think that we have to be a little bit like that as coaches we have to we have to know our athletes almost as well as they know themselves if not better to be able to um you know get onto their level and, and connect with them as well as we can to help them you know learn whatever sport it is that they are they're learning and, and do you see that at any age, at any age for for in you know coaching coaching people yeah. you know from 
Yeah, I do. I think that the when you read or you, you read accounts of even at the top level, the, the best players who've played the game, there is, um, and there's there's outliers. Of course, there will be. I'm sure somebody will dig something up, you know, an article that proves, you know, otherwise. You can you can find that nowadays. But the the best coaches seem to be the ones that understand where the athletes or the players feel that they are understood. Yeah. And that the and that there is an, a level of trust. You know, there's some um, research out there that suggests that when you're looking at high-performing teams, if you're looking at um, what what is the absolute foundation behaviour that, that needs to be present within any high-performing team, trust is the number one. Yeah. Um, so it, yeah, the, it's it's it, it, coaching is a very complex um, and messy human endeavour. Um, and you know it's very difficult to boil it down to um, constituent parts. And do you, when you see, you know, in the professional game, you see coaches coaching, you can quite easily identify those those the traits that the co- coach has. And again, I, I go back to being a Liverpool fan; it's quite easy for it. You look at Jurgen, who's you know very hands on, seems to be very hands on, seems to have that yeah. bond and understanding with players. I'm sure as many managers do, but perhaps just on a different level to the. So, so you must, I presume, see that when you see the professional game at that top level. Yeah, I mean, well, I think the best compliment I can give Jurgen Klopp is that um, a lot of the my friends over here who are, who are staunch blue noses <laughs> really, really respect him. Um, and, you know, the um, I think... He is. He, he, what impresses me about him is he doesn't try to come across as something that he's not. He's comfortable with who he is. Uh, he's unpolished. Um, but I tell you what, I, I think of some of the best coaches and managers that I've played for, and that you know, you the, the old phrases that you would run through brick walls for them. Well, you would. I don't know too many people who look at Jurgen Klopp over uh, the, the time period that he's been coaching in this country, and and don't wouldn't think. I wouldn't, uh, you know, I would, I would run through a big wall for that guy because yeah, yeah. Um, he, he does. He seems to understand people and look at the response that he gets from his players. Yeah. Now, obviously, he's he, he's going to have an, an awful lot of knowledge about the game and a team around him that, that support that. But in terms of, you know, a part of a big part of being a coach is being a leader. Yeah. Does he develop strong leadership characteristics? Um, I, I, for me, absolutely. Uh, there's a really interesting. Uh, theory of leadership that I, I'm keen on, which is called transformational leadership, that, that um, is again has a, has a good evidence base behind it. Um, it was developed in uh, across a number of businesses. I think it may have been back in the 70s or the 80s now, um, but the the principles behind it are so solid for, for coaching and anyone in a position of leadership. And I look at at Klopp and 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 just see transformational leadership right the way through. Whatever you know, everything that we we see of him. Obviously, we don't see what happens at Melwood, but what, what we're what we're given access to. Yeah, my first opportunity on this podcast to plug my other podcast, which I do, which is business focused, but that talks about leadership and those kind of things you talk about. <clears throat> there, uh, chatting to people are, again in, in business, similar things that, that are brought in and just applied in a business environment rather than a sports environment. Uh, empowerment, trust, yeah. those those types of key key aspects. <clears throat> yeah. So in regard to the psychology, which seems to constantly come up in chats that Matt and I have with, with anyone sports related, is that an area that, that sort of interests to you particularly as well or, or just 
again, it's part of the overall package. You have a good understanding of it and, again, I guess, apply it. Yeah, I think what you learn in, in, in coaching and in a coach development perspective is I'm not, I'm not an expert, I don't think, in anything. You know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a biomechanist. I'm, I'm not an analyst. But you have to have some element of understanding across a, a wide range um, because you know it's it's part of coaching it's a very much part of coaching so you know the psychology aspect for me is something that I've um, I've been interested in since it was probably Clifton actually that I remember him delivering a A-level psychology module in our PE course and thinking I actually remember thinking I wish I'd done psychology as an A-level at the time because it was um, it, it was the first time we'd been exposed to that it wasn't something that was offered as a GCSE or before that, but I found it really interesting. It's something that, that grabbed me uh, and, and has continued to. So yeah, that it's it's um, it, it, you know it is what what drives us. And it, the, the lucky thing for me is I get to almost see this play out live in in my own coaching, uh, which I do on a, on the voluntary basis every week or until the world changed last month. <laughs> yeah, sorry and. Um, in your role then are you encouraged to do extra uh, development in yourself and look, researching what you think might help coaches or are you given kind of a set curriculum in a sense to go out to the coaches and work with them or is it or I guess on another one do you tailor it depending on who you're with um, or is it something you said there with psychology with being an interest you go out and research find things that you think or potentially would could help a coach in need of it and then add that into your sessions yeah i think um one of the best things about working for for the english fa is that um they there is a, a culture of um really trying to improve uh, and, and, and develop personally. Um, so you're when you're down at St George's, you, you you're swimming with the sharks in many respects because there is some really really talented people down there, um, and there is there is very much a culture of trying to uh, improve each other and help each other out. And the CPD that we've been exposed to has been fantastic. So I've just finished um, a master's degree in sports coaching with Worcester University. So we we started that. It was a part time course which was done um you know you talk about contextual learning uh the staff uh at Worcester were absolutely amazing I think the first well one of the I think it might be in the second podcast episode I did um was with the two course leaders one was a previous head of play development at the FA Andy Kale and um so they they would come to St George's one day a month with a small cohort of our staff and we would do a full day's taught um content and then we'd go away and, and work on the tasks and we were very much given um you know choice and autonomy over what we would submit so the the liverpool fa podcast was actually a byproduct of one of the modules um you know where we had to create something to, work, to develop some personal skills within and it was you know an itch that i felt needed scratching at the time so um it, yeah the the, the organisers have been really good in terms of you know pushing you to push yourself because I think what they recognise is that if they've got you know better staff or, or more rounded and well developed staff working for them, then um, we're going to help to develop the coaches. So I, I think one thing that we we can be guilty in, in terms of our roles of forgetting sometimes is that we work with people who are volunteers, 
and you know we, we live and breathe this stuff 24 7 whereas the volunteer you know might have just come off a night shift and often does straight onto a coaching course mm. hasn't had a night's sleep and has then got to go and take you know the kids the following saturday morning um they don't have the time maybe that we do to then go through everything and then and they certainly well they almost certainly won't have developed the, maybe the critical lens that that we've had to you know when the latest fad is, is out there so i think the best coach developers and even the best coaches are i'll call them curators of information especially in the digital age today where you've got you know masses and masses of information where do you look to and how do you you know what how do you know where to go first and in what order what's right for you and your players at that time and i think that's where you know the best coach developers if i've got somebody who is um you know i can push content much more readily towards individuals who i think would uh need it need it most if that makes sense yeah mm-hmm. i suppose again you look at that you're or the remit you're given as much you talk there about i suppose freedom to follow it's only the same you're doing that down the chain really on you in regard to the coaches and the coaches to the to the to the athletes so what you know that philosophy i suppose ultimately has to start at the top doesn't it yeah i mean we only get a finite amount of time so if you if i take a, a, a the last course i delivered um before the lockdown was um they've just built four brand new football sites in liverpool and they are absolutely incredible state-of-the-art big 3g pitches um sort of mini st george's parks so it was uh, literally over the back of the hill right back where i live and it was for a club um the biggest club in liverpool and one of the biggest in the country walton and they had uh, 18 grassroots coaches ranging from the under sevens who just literally just started to um i think we had some under 15s uh yeah the under 15s so we had right away a range right the way through um coaches who coach boys and girls um and they all come with different things and, and need different things and you know i've got seven evenings with them when you've got you know to, to bring about long-term behavior change over seven evenings is extremely difficult you know or bordering on completely unrealistic but what you can do is um try and give them some tools so, to survive long enough that they might just be inspired and it might just ignite something in them to carry on learning but you, you've got to be realistic with what Yep. Sorry, just cut out slightly there. Yeah. Sorry? Just about yeah, realistic Wait. about what you. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, we have got such a finite amount of time with people, and you know, coaching behaviours. Uh, well, the the evidence behind coaching behaviours is suggests that what coaches say and what they actually do are very different things. All right. Um, okay. You know, coaches will tell you that they coach like X, but the evidence is, it suggests that eighty percent of the time that they don't. That they're, they're completely different. So right, um, okay. you know, that, that's part of our job is to try and make people a little bit more self-aware about um, what, you know, who, are, who actually are they as a coach and um, yeah. you know, is, that, is that aligned with the sort of coach that they want to be or indeed the sort of coach that their players need them to be. So, so I was reading just on that, on that subject, I was reading about, I think you call it reflection, and then looking at, I suppose, you, as a coach, you'll then look back and go... Uh, you know, correct me where I am here, or, or dig in a bit more about being honest about your own performance as a coach. Uh, technically, I think it's practical and critical. Yeah, so they're the key yeah, aspects. Work, yeah, yeah. So they're the key aspects you try and educate a coach to 
yeah do. and the te- yeah I, you could look at them as kind of layers of an onion so the 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 most superficial if you like is is probably the one that we we spend the most time on unfortunately which is the the technical aspects where which is probably most coaches on the way home will will, will maybe ask themselves you know how did the players do or was the space right or you know did this game or did this drill you know what did the rules work and you know it, it's it's important to have of course but the sooner that we can get coaches asking more deeper you know critical questions you know what you know why do i coach the way that i coach um who who am i being influenced by in, in perhaps ways that i'm not sure about who who has power over me as a coach who who do i have power over as a coach and how am i perhaps using that power without even realizing it so all all these questions that are probably um the the stuff that we don't often talk about but yeah. we, we need to, to talk about the, the the x's and o's stuff that that's you know largely superficial we and we want to move coaches much more to a towards a, a more critical conversation with themselves I, and again something i read i think i don't know whether it was on an article article of yours or within it you talked about uh in regard to uh, coaching that's 10 to 15 i think i've got a no here i wrote down 10 to 15 percent of coaching's the uh the, the learning process i guess sat, sat in a room for the one of a better expression and the rest is kind of on the job practical is that that kind of right how i've quoted you there have i misquoted you slightly there oh two seconds i'm just breaking it yeah can you hear me yeah yeah yeah, so do you just repeat that again? Yeah, Sorry, so I was reading, a, reading an article and it talked about uh, the, the coach's experience and the coach's own development and only 10, 10 to 15% of it is kind of, I call it practical learning, not necessarily sat in a room, but that kind of learning and the rest is more, I guess, okay, again, I call it on-the-job training yeah. or on-the-job yeah, learning, I, sorry. It, it wasn't an article I'd wrote, was it? Uh, I can't remember where I read it. I hope not. Uh, no. Any Anytime I see numbers flashed up against learning right. I, you know the panic buttons started to get pressed okay. but i think what we we do recognize is that you know coaching is a practical endeavor to to learn to coach you need to spend time in the trenches actually coaching there's only so much that a coaching course can do um yeah. I, and i and i think one of the things that is it, you know we need to push more or coaches who are out there on whatever course that they they if they do go on a course it's an opportunity that you might not get, get again to directly connect with other coaches in within your sort of sphere and, and add to your your network um and i i've definitely benefited from that going through my uh my ua for b is particularly was a course where i'm still in contact with maybe half a dozen or so coaches on that course and a strange cohort who some have ended up in one's a like a technical or director for UEFA, one's an academy manager. We've got people all, all over the country, um, you know, and I'm still in, in in good contact with those people. So, coaching courses aren't, you know, the panacea, in it, but they yeah, do yeah. offer opportunities that maybe coaches don't get otherwise. Right. Okay. And then for for yourself as well, you mentioned, or again, I think I read, outside of football, what else gets your attention? I think I was getting some, we talked, funnily enough, this, this lockdown has led to some strange conversations that we've probably never had with people before. And <laughs> one of the conversations in our, in our WhatsApp group was Twitter bios. And I realized I hadn't changed mine for 10 years, but um, yeah, snow, snowboarding, uh, golf, learning, reading, DJing, 
the latter of which has been poorly neglected until oh, right. the last the last couple of weeks, which I've had off. And I, I actually, it's been interesting. I, I I had all the gear and no idea, and I thought, right, I'm going to knuckle down and I'm actually going to practice what I preach. So apply what I know or what you know principles of learning, and try and get get better at a skill. So I, I did sort of two weeks solid of trying to get better on the decks. So right. it was YouTube videos, which I'm quite critical of coaches using YouTube videos all the time, but it would be a YouTube video on the laptop on double speed. So it means you can get through a quick yeah, yeah. pause straight onto the decks, have a go. And, and what I learned actually was um, just how important play is in learning. And what I mean by that is just complete unstructured messing about um, because I, I spent a few days and it was all very segmented and formal and do this video and that video. And then I realized I got more out of just, I guess, jamming. You could, if you were borrowing a music, musical yeah, term. Yeah, yeah, and, that, yeah. and that's something that, you know, we're trying to encourage coaches, certainly of kids, but I'm, you know, having experienced that, I don't think we encourage it with adults to, to play. And, and what I mean is just unstructured, informal, um, just, you know self-regulated and we don't do it enough because um you know matt when you you know went to school or when we went to football club it was still it was less structured than it is now whereas i look at some kids nowadays and their their whole week it seems to be broken up by hour-long formalized segments and and i wonder if you know this time that we're now has been a nice opportunity to reset some of that and bring you know learn how to play because I, I think some people you know, myself included, have completely forgotten how to do it. I, I think that's, uh, I think you, you, you're right, because funny enough, yesterday was, it's totally random in the, in the space of time, but it's the first day probably since the lockdown when I kind of had works up today, things up today, and I just had a bit of time to yourself to do, do something and play, as you say. Uh, but it's, I think it's time. I think the problem with that is, you know, everyone's just, everything's so busy. And I'm sure when you're coaching people, there's an hour session, and you need to yeah. get what you need to get out. So therefore, that that play time, as you call it, and and right, we just as humans, we just struggle more and more because we continue to do more and take on more, take on more information. That that, that ability to just you know play is still so important. I think whatever you're doing, whatever it is, yeah, I, I agree. And we we've tried to be, you know, I'm a big believer of of you know, it, it, time is your most valuable resource. You, you spend most of the time in your ear saying yes to things and then you realize that you, you, you the latter stages of your career you say no to more things to to free up time but we, we try to get coaches to be a little bit more pragmatic with with time so a, a lot of them and especially novice coaches it's it's about survival they they be, you know they're thrust into this world where they don't know uh, what they don't know and they've they've got all these things the, the session looked great on paper until people started running around on the grass and then things start to unravel and it's like well what do i do now and but so instead of maybe planning for an hour or an hour and a half you know why don't you let the kids or, or the players take control of the first 20 minutes and the last 20 minutes and you just focus on 20 minutes yourself you know you could could you survive 20 minutes all right well let's try that yeah um and you know it, it doesn't work for everyone but just trying to be a little bit more um thoughtful about uh you know how we can help these coaches to survive if you like out in the wild and and just to go back to the point to talk about i know technical isn't it you know it's a small element of it when we, we when we were chatting to paul jones about football in general when you watch football again i was talking around again i speak for matt as well just as casual football fans but watch a game and can see 
some element of tactics going on and think we know more than we do. Do you watch football games now, certainly at the high level? And uh, I wouldn't, I can't, I, I want to say, do you see it a lot differently from what I see it? Appreciate, and you don't see what I see, but obviously with your own knowledge and experience within the game, you must look at you must look at games slightly or listen to people in the crowd who perhaps haven't got that that tactical and that 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 knowledge that you have and kind of roll your eyes and think, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing the game a lot different from the the average punter. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think the I definitely don't watch the game like a fan do. Uh, certainly not when I'm at a ground. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a Newcastle fan, and I've sneaked into Anfield the last couple of times that we've played there, which has been painful to say the <laughs> least. But even watching your own team, I I, I can't, especially when I've, I'm high up and I've got the whole pitch. That, that's a really enjoyable experience to just yeah, try man. to pick apart what's going on there. Um, I don't, I, I think I've allowed myself to just try and enjoy games when they're on the TV. Um, the, the, the wide cameras is a good fun thing to, that I like to watch every now and then when they do have it on, but Sky don't really, it, it seems to be only on Monday nights when they do that. Mm. Monday night football's got a lot better. I really enjoy that. There's some really good analysis on there, but um, yeah, you, you can't, you, sometimes you, it's, it's tough to turn off, but, Every now and then, I do like to just, you know, kick back and try and enjoy the game as a, yeah, as a yeah. fan. But I, I don't try and pretend to know more than I do. I think a lot of people, are, you know, hear them posturing and trying to um, claim that they, they, you know, they've analysed the game to the nth degree. But I'm a, I'm a believer that football is the most chaotic, random, complex, and unpredictable sport that there is on the planet, and because. Of its the simplicity of its of its rules, I realise the irony of what I've just said there, given the season that we've just had. Huh. Uh, but the, uh, the laws of the game, sorry to the officials out there, are, are actually quite simple, and that's yeah. why it makes it such a popular, uh, fun game to watch because you know often decided on one moment, yeah. and you, you know you, you the three of us could watch a game of football and see it three different ways, and the the best. Uh, people that I know are the ones who are married to their own ideas and will listen to how you know how did you see the game? Oh, I didn't. I didn't see that. Uh, rather than being kind of really entrenched. Yeah. yeah. Um, so those conversations, if you get the right person at the right time, they can be really exciting. But if you get the wrong person at the wrong time, they just bore me. They really yeah, do. Right. And regard to obviously you mentioned there, you mentioned a couple of times we're obviously in lockdown at the moment. Although we're slightly starting to ease off here in the Alaman, I don't think it's the yeah, case in Liverpool. Yeah. yeah. In regard to your day-to-day job, are you just trying to deliver some coaching online? Yeah, it's it's been really weird. I I, uh, I think what we've learned is that you know adversity doesn't develop character; it reveals it. And we, hmm. some of our staff have just been real foot to the floor and just you know risen to the challenge. It's been great. So what we're we are everything's on lockdown in terms of physical coach education and, and, you know, the industry in which we work is basically closed until further notice. Um, so a lot, of, you know, the English FA have, have finally, it's funny how organizations react because, and people even those things that you've always said that you wanted to do are now getting done. So we've always talked about having our own YouTube channel and but it's, it, it, it hasn't, you know, come to the fore, but now it's been released. And I think there's already, it only went live last week and there's about three or 4,000 subscribers already. And, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that's getting pushed out, which is, you know, for me is great. If you want to be on the video space, then you need to be on, 
on there. So um, we we're trialing delivering some uh, UA for Bs, uh, just the tech, I guess the theory based content online. Um, I was lucky enough to do a, a webinar for the uh, Australian um, Physical Education Association this morning. So it was an early start, but they they used like we're using Zoom. I think there was about a hundred coaches online, and then the the facilitator, who's an old colleague of mine, Gareth, pushed a button, and we all uh, you know went into separate small chat rooms where there was only about four oh, or five right. of us, right. and then he brought us back. And and what um what struck me was, and any teachers or uh, coach educators listening to this will know what I mean you're delivering something live in a classroom and to bring the room back in when they're all off on small group tasks. But, you know, this Zoom solved that because the countdown comes on, you've got one minute left, and after oh, that minute, the room shuts out and everyone's back. So, yeah, you know, right. it's, it's a really good way of, I think it will it will never replace face-to-face contact, but um, I've, I've already, just from being on that this morning, I've thought, if we use this wisely, this could be a real game-changer because... The other thing is, it, it, um, it really flattens the uh, the hierarchy. You'll know from any classroom, you know, in terms of adult education that you've been in, there are certain dominant people, and and as a as an educator, sometimes it's difficult to to deal with that. Well, in an electronic environment, you know, everyone everyone's the same. Um, yeah, it's a lot, lot easier to control. So yeah, we and we're putting together um, our level two qualification uh, is broken down into some sort of discrete workshops with content so we have you know from a psych side we've got a workshop on motivation um another one on self-esteem so our colleagues uh in my team have been busy just recording conversations like this um little 15 20 minute bite-sized chunks that we're putting together so to build a, a level two qualification or the content of it um into an online course so it's it's funny how uh constraints shape behavior yeah. is, you know we, we've got a, a restriction like we've never experienced before but it does make you reassess and reevaluate and i i think come out the other side we will come out the other side um better for it yeah so two other quick questions you mentioned obviously the podcast there so again we'll put a note uh, a link in our, in the footer of our our, yeah. our our pod so that's so, primarily chatting to other coaches is that what's what's the background obviously yeah. you mentioned it came out of the study side of things yeah it was um yeah basically just a vehicle to uh i guess develop some own personal skills around questioning and conversation uh but and also having it as an excuse to you know speak to or have uninterrupted conversations with really good people so um it kind of spawned legs from there what i realized was that it's difficult not to compare to other stuff that's out there so there's some you know i'm i'm a podcast nerd you know i listen to a lot um, a, a wide range, but I only, I only really listen to one sport one, although I will, I do need to pick up your back catalogue. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I decided to, I, I had an experience on one where I listened, I'd done it over Skype and it was, um, it, it was good, but I found it really, really difficult. So I, I just made the decision to go, unless I'm doing it in person, yeah. I'm, I'm probably not going to do it in, in here, but it's a good excuse to get, you know, colleagues and friends, you know, they want to, come around and just sit sit around the bar for a few hours and and, and talk football but yeah. uh, i i only i think if i was to commit to doing something every week it, it would probably lose interest for me yeah and, right. and, and i don't think i've got enough 
interesting stuff to speak to people about. You know, there's, there's plenty more experts in their fields who, you know, can talk every week. I only tend to put stuff out when I think that there's, there's something to say or that somebody who has, who is an expert, um, yeah. wants to come on and discuss some things. So it's funny because when we started our, our podcast, it was obviously always, we did it around and again, similar got a man cave around there and we obviously did everything face to face and it was always something we ensured we tried to do. And mm. so I don't know whether we necessarily talked about it, but we never felt, you know, over the internet, we did an early one with it, with uh, Keith in, in America, but always felt face to face was the way to do it. And, and listening to other podcasters, uh, they're always, and, and I'm going to say, you know, I'm in, in business, face to face meetings, you get so much more, you know, value and connection out of that. But in fairness, it's, I'd like to think anyway, uh, the, the listeners we have might think differently, but certainly having the visual now, uh, that connection still, you know, pretty yeah. outside of the Wi-Fi, uh, the connection is, uh, I think the connection's good, but I do know what you mean. It is far better face-to-face. Yeah. But I'm being impressed even this morning on, on this one, the technology is improving at a hell of a rate. Yeah. You know, the, the last online one I did was was a three years ago, I think now, and it, it, that was tough, but I can see the difference in this one. Already. You know, we, we've, we've never met before. Well, obviously, Matt, we have, haven't we? Um, but, you know the yeah the technology is moving on and I, and I you know I, I feel like a broken record I've been pushing podcasts for the best part of ten years now because I I was I was doing about thirty thousand miles a year on the road in the southwest and I just got sick of Talksport and the adverts and the nonsense yeah. and I thought I can't it I I look at it now as um like what you put into your body is what you put so you take a diet so you take food and you put that into your body well. Um, Talk sport is like the equivalent for me, or the adverts anyway, of putting just constant Coca-Cola down your throat. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I wanted to get a bit of a more healthy, balanced diet. It's the same with what you read on the internet and what you, yeah. you know, what you listen to. So the, the, we are living in the times where you know you can you can look up somebody and um, and find out. Every, I read a book uh, by a guy called um, Nassim Taleb when all the pandemic hit, and it's I've been meaning to read his work for years now. And it just seemed like the right time. And um, I, I went on the podcast app, put his name in, and immediately found a back catalogue of, let's say, a dozen episodes that he'd done, which then complemented the book. So you get that kind of more depth to to what it is that you're learning at the time. Yeah, yeah. And it, yeah. It, it's amazing what you know you know you can get. And the other thing with podcasts is that you, you people can do you, know, you can listen to it while doing the garden or mowing the lawn or driving at the gym you know you videos you you've got to be you've got to see it you can't really be doing anything else whereas the podcast you can be doing other stuff and still benefiting from it yeah. i think i think that's why they've they've grown so popular yeah i'm certainly saying matt and i were talking about before you came on about that drifting and listening to a book that paul power recommended and but i need to be you know it's an audio book so i need to be you know super beyond me but so i really need my focus but with a lot of podcasts you can just drift it i hope not too many people are drifting out but yeah and and similar to matt and i we're big podcast fans which is ultimately why we started this was because there's just so much unbelievable great content out there uh, from a range of people that can give you such great exactly exactly as you describe it great knowledge and great uh rather than perhaps just media driven i'm not criticism of the media far from it but they're obviously, especially in the environment we're in now, where you turn on the news and there's only one subject, twenty four seven. And it is a nice. You just need yeah. to kind of get a balance of yeah, it's good to know current affairs and what's going on in the world, but you also want to want to 
one-on-one, whether it's just some, a relaxing audio book of, of fiction or, or information-based stuff. Yeah, and there's something about, I think, about uh, listening to someone who, has, who is a genuine expert in an area. Mm. So, for example, a professor um, who, you know, they go on television, mainstream media, you know, it's got to keep quick... Six minutes. minutes. Yeah, 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 and yeah, so yeah. that expert um, has got literally maybe 30 seconds on a panel to make a point that yeah. is their life's work that they've put 30 years into. How are they ever going to explain that in, in, in two minutes? Yeah. So giving those time, giving those people the time to talk and explain, I think is just gives you such a, a broader and fuller understanding of yeah. the concepts that they're talking about. And I, I think in terms of learning and development and education, which I work in, it, there's never been a better time. Yeah. That, again, that's why Matt, Matt and I prefer this longer form of just just chatting and yeah. not trying to condense or put down people's people's yeah view. I, I mean, I'm a big fan of Joe Rogan. Oh, Matt, well, he's the range. reason why. Yeah, he's the reason why I, I I pulled the trigger because I in fact I found him because previously I'd I'd been a, a big fan of well I still am a big fan of Tim Ferriss's. Okay, yeah, yeah. And then I I remember exactly what episode it was. He'd done a, an episode with a guy called Sam Harris. Yep, and I remember thinking, "Wow, that 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 guy knows his stuff. I want to I want to know more about him." So I searched for him. This was I, m- I remember it was 2016, summer 2016, and uh, the first episode that popped up was this guy called Joe Rogan. I'd never even heard of him, and I get ripped now by my lads because I'm like the 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 biggest Rogan fan there is. I've I haven't missed an episode since about number six hundred. Right. I, I get to, you know, travel a lot in the car and what have you, but yeah, yeah. I, I just think that that format is is fantastic. And yeah. probably the the reason why he's been so successful is he gives people time to think and to breathe. Yeah, yeah. I've uh I don't listen to every episode more again probably a time aspect of things but uh yeah just like the broad range of different you can be speaking yeah. to an mma fight one day which is still interesting and technical and then the next day like you say speaking to a you know a dietitian about whatever you know yeah. to the next day where he's yeah chatting to tyson <laughs> i know it's just why it's crazy but it, that there is something about people who have you know reached the pinnacle in their their domain and just hearing that, that especially academic expert you know practitioners so professors Stephen Pink is a really good one um, right. uh, or there's a, a guy and it's killing me this because I recorded this episode with him about two and a half years ago now and it's actually sat on my laptop on the hard drive and I've not released it yet it's, right. a, it's a three hour co- uh, conversation with Professor Chris Cushion so okay. he's Professor of Coaching and Pedagogy at Loughborough University and the, the guy is you know um, in terms of the, the academic world of coaching he's up there with the best uh, and I'm you know keeps promising me that he'll give me the green light to release it because oh, right. obviously being someone of that uh, of that caliber you know he, he wants if he's putting his name to something he needs to know that he's happy with with what's going out there yeah, but of course they they speak with such an economy of words it, it, I think that it, it really takes you to get to that level to be able to talk like that um, mm. and that's what I've enjoyed the most about it in, in terms yeah. of being on the, on both ends of the, of the spe- you know, the receiving end as a consumer and, and then as a producer as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, so future, what's kind of, you just continue to develop in that coaching role. Have you got aspirations yourself further on or, you know, what, what are your aspirations? Well, yeah, yeah, there's a few, probably not too many that I can talk, talk about. Right. You know, but um, but no, just to I, continue I, developing. Yeah, I, I, this, this, period of time and then obviously what happened um with my dad uh in february has has been a um you know a time where i really sort of 
hit the brakes and thought about this sort of stuff. So, you know, and there's there's parts that absolutely love working with the, the, the team that I work with um, within the division that I work with. The you know the organisation is we get really lucky, um, and and then to work with, you know, we get to help people teach people to kick a bag of air around the field for a living you know it's not doesn't feel like a job sometimes so as long as i'm being challenged and um and doing something that doesn't feel like work then then i'm happy um yeah that's why i like chatting to again stuff i've picked off a podcast and, and speaking to people is again similar with the last podcast we had someone who just continually is not con- I wouldn't say content with what they're doing. They're content with what they're doing, but they want to learn more, want to push more, yeah. want to continue to develop. And uh, again, it's a, a common theme. Chat, certainly the last few guests we've chatted to, that's, that's important. And uh, I think it's good for listeners to to think that way, you know, to hear that and then try, try themselves where they don't and they're perhaps just, just, yeah. just chugging along that, you know, that self-development, self-improvement, self-challenging every day, trying something new, pushing that comfort zone is uh, is so important. Yeah, I read a really good book last week, um, and I am a very, very slow reader. So you talk about learning. There's things that I think you can do to accelerate it, and I definitely need to get quicker at reading. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a quick listener, but not a quick reader. Yeah. But um, it's by Greg McEwen called Essentialism. I got okay. through it in three days, so that was probably a suggestion that it was quite a good book. <laughs> but what it made me realise was that I probably, you know, spreading myself too thin. And I think we all do in in this day and age where we we are accessible at the touch of a button. Um, and I, I, you know, there's, there's people, uh, in my, in my craft who really do have genuine expertise. So a colleague of mine, um, Ben Bartlett, he, he's an interesting, uh, well, I, I, obviously you, you interview people from, from the island. But no, well, in fairness, it's something we want to explore further. So it's just about ben, yourself yeah, to ben, or not. ben is someone who you would really enjoy a conversation with. He's, he's one of those who has a real economy of words, but he's, he's a real uh, master of his crafts former colleague but he he's gone to fuller hours to be head of coaching down there um so in my own respect uh, but he, he is someone who i look at and go you know you, you managed to cut the noise out and really focus right. on, on his on your on your craft and i i need to do that better definitely yeah, yeah. okay interesting i'm generally speaking if people want to i'm sure you again from chatting to you get the impression you'd always welcome people that want any questions or coaching advice or just pointing in the right direction oh, people yeah. want to reach out to you what's the best way to do that yeah i mean um i guess i'm on twitter so yeah get, get me on there i linkedin is the wild west um i don't I, I i'm still learning how to use it i was getting all these requests and i just i couldn't i didn't have the time to do them so i just kind of accept all so linkedin if you message me on there don't expect to reply very soon uh twitter for my own sanity and mental health i have a five minute restriction on that a day so once i've used it for five minutes the app cuts off and it it logs me out so um all right okay that that, that place is a cesspit really in, at times especially at the be. moment yeah. so it, 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 it's some really good stuff on there but you've got to have a real critical eye but um yeah twitter is normally messages or or mentions on there i'll normally pick up yeah that tells you how we kindly got got introduced so yeah or or good old-fashioned email which is jack.walton at the fa.com all right Um, okay yeah email email's fine well we'll stick that in the footer if you don't mind as well not a problem at all yeah yeah no i appreciate it no i appreciate your time coming on today Uh, been great i've really enjoyed it and it's uh it's uh, I guess it's um, restored my faith or given me new in- invigoration to do more stuff like this. Yeah, good, good. Matt, do you want to uh, sign us out? 
Yeah, so wherever you're listening or watching today, please like, subscribe, share, and leave those five-star review pretty please. Social media, Facebook, with the M-Word podcast. Twitter, we're Manx Sports Pod. And on Instagram, we are the M-Word IOM. So thanks again, you sexy people, for letting us get into your ears. It's Word Out from Martin. And Word Out from Matt.